Welcome to the Focus and Chill podcast, where we discuss productivity tactics that work for neurodiverse individuals. Every episode, we interview guests with lived experience of neurodiversity who also have a solid productivity and habit game, and pass the learnings on to you, our wise and benevolent audience. We're your hosts, Jeremy and Joey. I'm Joey, and I coach creatives to get moving on their most ambitious projects through the power of solid habits and strong focus. I'm also a perpetual student of psychology and perpetually on a quest to a one-armed chin-up. And I'm Jeremy, a neurospicy software developer turned startup founder, building the Focus Bear app to help people with ADHD and autism thrive at work. My cool party trick is leaving parties early so I can get to sleep in time for my two hour long morning routine. The Focus and Chill podcast is brought to you by Focus Bear, a habit and productivity app that makes healthy habits and deep work the path of least resistance. If you have a tendency to check emails or scroll through Instagram first thing in the morning, but long to develop a meditation and exercise habit first thing, Focus Bear can help you. The app blocks distractions on all your devices and guides you through your habits one at a time. Throughout the day, Focus Bear assists you to stay in deep work by blocking websites and apps that are unrelated to your chosen focus mode. Life's not all about work though. You'll be prompted to take regular breaks to rest your eyes and stretch your muscles. At the end of the day, Focus Bear helps you switch off. Work-related apps get hidden so you can unwind and sleep well. Check out the app by going to focusbear.io. Welcome to episode number 40 of the Focus and Chill podcast. Our guest today is Dan McQueen. On June 21st of 2014, Dan's reality was shattered by a devastating brain hemorrhage. With no map to guide him on the grueling path to recovery, Dan had to rely on his grit, perseverance and resilience to relearn everything he once knew, how to walk, talk and even smile. Dan has survived two emergency brain surgeries, weeks in a coma and months in a rehab hospital. What he found out along the way might surprise you. There's nothing like a brain injury to refocus the mind. Driven by a positive mindset, Dan battled through excruciating rehab exercises to rebuild his life and return to a job he loved. Welcome to the show, Dan. Hey, Jeremy, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'd like to begin with talking about what happened in 2014. Can you can you tell us, was there any warning or did it com- happen completely out of the blue? Yeah, so this came out of the blue. I was living in London, England, jolly old after a master's in Sweden. So I was in there live, living my best life, big nights out, cafes, restaurants, enjoying the vibrancy of London, which I'm sure you know you're aware of. Started having these headaches that were getting horrible and persisting over a few weeks. Taking painkillers like candy, the headaches would not stop. They were relentless headaches. I went to A&E, which is accident and emergency in the UK. They thought it was vertigo and they sent me home. I went to pick up a microwave for my friend in Notting Hill. And on the tube, my vision blacked out for three minutes. Like blacked out. I couldn't see anything. I went on the platform. I waited there. The vision came back, thankfully. I knew something was horribly wrong here. This is not normal behavior. Went back to A&E, they thought it was vertigo again. On the way out, they told me if the headaches were to continue, I could always get my eyes checked at an optometrist. An optometrist, you say, eh? So the next day, I found myself in Mr. Patel's chair, getting an eye exam because the headaches were persistent and, and worse than all hell. Uh, midway through the exam, he stops the exam. Stops the exam, cold turkey, and he goes, I'll be back in a few minutes. He comes back with a sealed envelope, Jeremy, and he passes it to me, and he goes... I need you to go directly to Moorfield's Hospital, which I did. Well, tell a lie. I stopped at home first to grab a Jack Reach book by Lee Childs. I figured I'd be in for a bit of weight. 
Want something to read? Grab a bite to eat and a grab a phone charger. Then I made my way to Moorfield's hospital. There they ran the same test and asked me up to Charing Cross Hospital. It was escalating quickly. It turns out I had a dangerous buildup of pressure in my brain caused from a non-cancerous cyst in my head. It turns out I required emergency brain surgery tomorrow. It turns out my world's about to change altogether. After a frantic back and forth with folks in Canada, uh, you know, I wrote the final text message to my mom and said, you know what? I think I'll have a new haircut next time I see you love down. So mom is in the air flying to London on June 21st, 2014. I'm on the operating table. Something goes horribly wrong. And I had a massive bleed in the brain, a brain hemorrhage. Then the cyst burst when they operated. Mom lands and finds I'm in critical condition. I was in a coma for four weeks. But was in and out of consciousness for months after this. Things were dicey, touch and go. When all was said and done, I was learning how to walk, talk, and smile again. That's kind of where things kicked off for me there. Sounds so difficult and really unfortunate that they didn't pick it up the first time that you went in. So what what was it like going through rehab? Well, waking up in the hospital, having my mom, dad, and brother on the bed. I'm trying to talk, but I can't talk because the tracheotomy removed and my voice box didn't come back for a few weeks. I'm pointing at my brother, I go, you, give me a pen and paper, please. And I write down the pen and paper, get me out of here. And I show it to him. Said, like, you know, you have to make this happen. Get me out of here in my broken sign language. And he didn't because I was pretty crunked. I had, you know, I couldn't, my left leg had frozen at an angle. So like my left leg was atrophied. I couldn't walk. Um, I couldn't talk. I was I was crunked. I was thinking this looks expensive. Let's get the hell out of here. I was uh, worried that this may not be covered by medical coverage. I was a Canadian living in London. Luckily, my European passport covered that, so I was quite healthy with that. It was good, but it was uh, look, man, it was a dog fight. Like straight up, it was it was arduous, difficult, strenuous. And to get in the wheelchair took me forty five minutes, then forty minutes, then thirty five, then thirty, then twenty five, then twenty. Everything was just aching and painful and difficult to move. My leg had frozen at an angle in the ICU, so I couldn't use it. I had to wear a splint to help get the movement back in my left leg, which was horrifically painful. I'll share the story with you and your listeners, if you don't mind, about learning to walk in Toon Broadway or wearing the splint in Toon Broadway. So the first night I wore the splint through the night, no issue, no stress. This will be easy. I thought this will be easy. I thought, right? The second night after training, this was painful. After 30 minutes, it was dreadful. After 40 minutes, it was unbearable. I took the splint off, but I told the nurses, tomorrow we're doing this for an hour. I'm a walker. I can handle the pain. Let's do this for an hour tomorrow, 100%. Third day, they wrapped my leg. They gave me the clicker, the nurse call button. We set the time on my phone for one hour, one hour. And they go for patrol the Wilson Ward. Now, the Wilson Ward was an L shape, so short on this side, longer on this side, okay? Short on this side, longer on this side. Now, even in the hospital room that smells like only a hospital room can smell, it's sanitized, it's sterilized, it's clean, but you're wondering what sort of atrocities have been covered up under the guise of this pine salt lemon zest they've got here. You know, and after 10 minutes, the leg starts hurting. You know, it's a rolling thunder kind of vibe. After 20 minutes, the legs get really getting painful. After 10 minutes, the leg is unbearable. I start passing clicker back and forth, trying to distract myself from the pain. Now, I've got double vision from the brandry, which means I see two of you now, which is really awesome. Fantastic. It means I can't see much of this click going back and forth. As the pain ratchets up, my throats get more enthusiastic. Until eventually, inevitably, I drop the clicker and I land to the heart of the living floor. 
three and a half feet down on the ground. Damn it. I look over the edge of the bed. I see the clicker there lying on the floor looking back at me. If I can only get to that clicker, I can stop this pain. I can stop this insanity. Only problem was a fall from that height might break my arm, I thought. In fact, I figured about a 50-50 chance you'd break my arm. A coin flip. Not the best odds. I changed tack. I'm pawing it, the splint to undo it, but it's up at the ankle, not at the hip. I can't reach that far. I'm not that flexible. I'm like lunging for the splint, but I can't undo it. It's too far away from me. I start yelling out for help from the, from the hospital. I'm going, help, help. The ward was an L-shape, right? Short on this side, long on this side. Short on this side, long on this side. They're at the far end of the ward. They can't hear me yelling for help. I decide no one's coming to save you right now. you got 30 minutes left in this timer. So best case scenario, they come back in an hour or in 30 minutes. I can't last for another second with a splint on my leg. I decide I'm going to drop down to grab the clicker. I lower myself off the edge of the bed, and I crash down in a heap. It's yard sale, blankets, wires, cables, it's all to go. The arm, the arm holds. And I hammer the clicker, expecting the nurses to come bursting into the room to come to rescue. I kind of strolled in five minutes later. What are you doing in the floor, love? <laughs> That's exactly how they sound in my memory. And I tell them, let's not worry about that. Let's get the splint off my leg, please, and I'll tell you all about that. It's not what happens to you, but how you respond to the matters, right? I learned three lessons from the story. That's why I'm telling you this now. The first is let's not pass a clicker back and forth. That's a pretty self-evident lesson from this experience. The second was let's do a splint up at the hip, not at the ankle. That way I cannot do this should this happen going forward. And the third and probably most profound lesson I learned was let's always be solutions-oriented in the space going forwards. Focus on how you can fix your problem, not what your problem is. Always focus on what your problem is, not, not how you got there. How can you fix it? Right now, that splint or that clicker is the only thing that care about, the word about. Let's get the clicker. Let's get the clicker. So it was a pretty profound lesson for me. I never made that mistake again. I'll tell you that much. But just to give me an idea of how painful this was to like rehab and build back this. And that was at the Wolfson Rehab Center. So I'd already done three months of rehab at Charing Cross Hospital first. But it was difficult, arduous grindy, monotonous work that I was putting in every day to like build back to this and make it happen. It was uh it was frustrating as all hell, but it was um it was a time. Yeah, that sounds like incredibly unpleasant and really really demanding having to to deal with that pain. Because I imagine it, it each day maybe it got slightly better, but it would have still been really uncomfortable. Yeah, you just kind of learn to like place the pain in a way where you can handle it and adjust to it and like realize like you got to kind of a, a, a deal with this adversity to make it to walking like an hour a night's not a huge number right and you think like oh that's fine that's easy but like the pain ratcheted up so hard so fast i can't tell you how painful this was i never whinged about anything in the hospital it was never like oh this sucks this is unfair why am i doing this but the splint i was like this thing sucks let me tell you how much this thing is a pain in the ass it was horrifically painful and it took me a lot of times to get the the dial right and the timing right and make it work and slowly stretch it out so I could start walking on it right it was it was difficult and trial and error is how I got there and that's ultimately what the, the process was for me what happened after that after the months in rehab so after about um about six months from the first brain injury I was released from Wilson and I did rehab at home so I did like occupational therapy vocational therapy, speech and language therapy, uh, physiotherapy. I was doing this all like remotely at, at the house, like build back up to get back to work. Eventually I got back to work for two half days a week. I wasn't doing much. 
checking some emails, socializing, going for lunch, just getting back in the swing of routine at Hootsuite in London. With this lovely Oxford, uh, office in Oxford Street. And, uh, you know, I was making slow, slow progress, slow gains. I was, you know, two half days a week, nothing much. Moved up to three half days a week. And then eventually, you know, I meet my mom at the two before I went to work in the morning. Just check to make sure I'm off okay and there's no issues. And then one day I didn't show up. And she was, that's kind of weird. She called me, I didn't answer my phone. She went back to my flat in Hammersmith. And she opens the door to find me lying on the floor unconscious. Hmm. The shunt that's in my head had blocked leading to hydrocephalus or water on the brain. So it's pretty serious business. I was rushed to the hospital after 999 came in and rescued my, my sorry backside. I woke up in the hospital to see, you know, you hear the beeping noise, the heart monitor going off. And, you know, what happened? What happened? What happened? They told me, hey, Dan, you had a second emergency brain surgery. Your shunt blocked, which is very rare. Very rare, they told me. Less than 10% of cases happened. Like, cool. Sweet. I'm so glad I'm on this upswing of this. And I was devastated. I've been working for a year to get back to the office. I had just gotten back to the office, just trying to make a pro- progression out of this deep, dark hole I was in. And they dragged me back in. They dragged me back in. And I was just devastated for about a good week. Just, this isn't fair. This sucks. This is so un- unfortunate. Like, the first the first setback was uh, the first dip in. I could scrub my recovery like a W, right? The first setback was the first drop of the W. I kind of climbed back up about halfway back where I was. The second setback is not where the first one was much lower. Like I call this the depths of the human experience. Where like everything in your life and your vibe is just challenged and questioned as to why you're doing this. Are you good enough to be here? Like, are you strong enough to survive this? And you thought you were out, didn't you, bud? We're dragging you back in. I'm sorry to say it was abrupt, disrespectful, voracious. Like it was, it was horrible feeling and just like so helpless. And I had to really get into my head and be like, you know what, Dan, this didn't kill you. This effect didn't kill you, but you have to react to this in a positive way. Because the mindset you hold right now is the most important thing ever. Because it's what you think about it that matters above what it is. And now you know how to rehab better. All the gains are gone. They're gone, right? But I know how to rehab better the best time because I had done it once before. So I could rehab faster. I can move the needle more. I could push it harder because I knew the limits I could handle and push. But this took a while to get my head around the space. Took me probably about a good week to, to come to terms with this loss and this this setback and and get into my head and being like, you know what? Draw the line, accept it, and move forwards. Draw that line and accept it. That's the most important thing I did. Was accepting this this devastating blow and saying, yeah, it's not fair, it happened, but guess what? No one's coming to save you. And you gotta kind of pick yourself up by the bootstraps and move forward with this. So that's you know, some unnecessary excitement we had there after this whole rehab experience, but it you know made me stronger, it made me Appreciate what I have more and um, ultimately helped me forge me into the person I am today. So it's really grateful for that experience now. At the time, not so grateful, I'll be honest with you. Mm. Yeah, it would be hard to feel grateful in the moment. Was it in terms of the second rehab experience, was it similar to the, the first time dealing with mobility again? No. So I was able to walk this time, luckily, which is great. Uh, that was a huge bonus because bonus a huge huge you don't have to learn that again because that took a long time to get back to walking i wasn't in a coma for like a certain amount of weeks this time i was just you know surgery for one day so it was fine uh but it was i had done rehab in person so i couldn't do rehab in person again i had already tapped that vein so my mom had to fight tooth and nail me back to some location or like some remote rehab 
And we were able to do that because on their files, it looked like I had done rehab before. It's like, well, we had a second brain surgery. So like all that's wiped away. Um, the second rehab was, was much more difficult because I was on my own and like doing this at home. And I'm not in the rehab facility, not seeing the doctors every day, not like motivated by that. And it was a dark time for sure. And it really took a lot of my mental fortitude to get through this point and to navigate this and to take steps needed to, to progress myself in a way that was, um, positive and 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 positive every day it was just it was so difficult to keep their minds up here for this journey yeah i can't can't imagine how hard that would have been so after after that have things been better since then yeah i'm happy to say like i've got no more uh i haven't had a second third brain injury i've had eye surgery a couple times so i've had three eye surgeries try and correct double vision which is still a thing so, you know, lucky for me right now, Jeremy, at two years, thank goodness. But, like, uh, besides that, it's not the best thing ever. Hmm. It's quite adjust- adjusting to, like, that's why my eyes are bouncing around a lot. I'm sorry that's a bit distracting. I just can't focus because I see two of you. Yeah. Um, it's it's frustrating, but it's it's I've accepted it, if that makes sense. Like, it's it's not easy, but it's it's my reality right now, and that's kind of what I've learned to adapt to. So it's uh, a bit frustrating, but it's... I'm glad I took the steps to have the surgery because it really kind of shows that I'm taking the steps forward always. Like I recently just had eye surgery on the, on the left eye. My dad asked me like, Dan, do you regret having surgery on the eyes? And I said, well, the last surgery really changed a lot of my perspective because the whole time my eyes were like this and I used that for nine years right now, it's like this little bit, a bit shifted. I said, yeah, of course it's changed everything. And I really just rattled this off quickly without thinking about it. But Thinking back at it now, I don't regret the decision at all because the eyes, taking the step with the eyes was a step forwards. And I always say, take the next step, one step at a time. And I took that step and it's not worked out perfectly just yet, but I think it will unfold in the weeks, months, and years ahead that it will be the right decision to make. And I want to instill that mindset that every time I can take a step, I take that step because the world unfolds every time I take that step. The perspective is different from that step point. I don't ever want to challenge the thought of not taking the step. So I'm happy I took the surgery, happy to take the step, but it's a lot to adjust to right now. And I'm still figuring it out, to be honest, Jeremy. Hmm. Yeah, I, I love that mindset of taking the next step forward. And I imagine you were in your bio, you were saying that you've been able to regain the work that you loved before the injury. Can you tell us about that? Is it back at Hootsuite again? Yeah, so I was back at Hootsuite for a number of years, um, worked in the implementation team. So post-sale, honeymoon period with the clients, setting them up in the account, training them on board, and it was a great job. I loved it. Worked with clients from Europe, Middle East, and Africa, so widespread of workflows and work weeks. You can imagine clients from the south of Italy to like North Africa to like Saudi Arabia. Like there's a wide variety of working cultures and working dynamics that you have to adjust to. And I'm the guy running the project for some of these billion dollar companies it's like oh it's just it's it, i learned a lot i learned a lot by you in this and it was a great experience i really enjoyed it um i was the job until last autumn i got let go from that job part of a corporate restructuring foreign who lost a job one day and i was a part of the wrong side of the spreadsheet from that day until this day i've been a speaker motivational speaker i made the choice that afternoon after a few drinks that i'm going to become a motivational speaker tomorrow which means i need a computer today Made my way down to the store, picked up a new computer, which I'm calling you on today. And I've been doing that ever since. So it's like, I'm so grateful for Hootsuite, what they did for me and my family. 
My mom often says the the doctor saved my life, but Hootsie allowed me to get my life back. Hootsie was phenomenal to me. They did they treated me so well. My family's so right. I had nothing but love for the company. Even if I got let go from the job last year, that's fine. I'm chasing down what I want to do. My dream, my goal, my purpose in life is speaking. And Hootsie allowed me to get back to this. So I'm very grateful for them. Hmm. That's awesome that you're able to to share the message of what you went through and help other people. Because I imagine there's a lot of people who who have either gone through rehab and have struggled with it or just in general dealing with with life's adversities really makes me treasure the things that I have right now. Being grateful that right now I'm not having to go through that and trusting that I'll be able to to tackle some of the adversities that come up. Yeah, Jeremy, it's interesting you say that because like, you may not have a brain hemorrhage, right? The odds are you probably won't, but you will have a job loss, a breakup, a brain injury, like a, a job loss of it, like loss of a loved one. Like you will have this adversity in your life. Mm. How will you respond back to this? Like what I'm offering is a compass, not a map, but a compass. Like it always points towards the true north. Mindset, perspective, and hacks. Hacks to help you and your team be better than yesterday and tomorrow. Like this stuff is in your soul. Like if you get the mindset right, you're you're golden. Now it's like, what are you going to come up with that I'm afraid of or that I can't handle? Like, like honestly, and that's not like a, a like a, a like a call out to be like, here, come at me with some stuff. But like, what can you say that I can't overcome that I haven't? Like, look at my history. What have I done? Like, like I talk about my injury now as like a bit of a joke, a bit of like, this ain't nothing, this ain't just ain't shit. But like, that's because I've earned the right to speak to it that way. This thing tried to kill me twice, and like I've overcome it twice, and now I laugh in its face. You got nothing, but like. Life comes a knocking for everyone. And like you, you gotta be able to handle this knock. Mindset perspective and hacks are the way to go, man. Yeah, I, I like that. Being able to not be afraid of adversity, but respect it and move move through it. When you're not working, what do you enjoy doing in your off time? Yeah, so I do um first of all, I work four days a week, which is a great vibe, and I recommend everyone do it. I did that hootsuite when I came back to work from brain injury. Kept that vibe going when I work for myself. So Wednesdays are my day off normally, right? And I go for a swim and I go for brunch. Because that's my vibe, man. I love swimming and I love brunching. Swim because there's no outside influence, no traffic, no music, no podcast, no screens. It's just your breath. I've got a lap camera which tracks your laps. Your breath, your plane, you just count your you just swim and you just you just tackle some laps. It's phenomenal. I untangle so much stuff in my mind, my vibe through the pool, it's phenomenal. And uh, brunch afterwards, always a great vibe because, damn it, I love brunch, man. That's my favorite meal. My favorite meal to go for that, relax, unwind, chill, and I'm recharged for the rest of the week. But I'll do a lot of concerts, I'll do a lot of shows, I'll work out as much as I can. Mood Falls Action, I'm a big believer in this Rich Rolls vibe. There's another podcaster who's quite big. Hmm. And a lot of self-improvement because I've been rebuilding my license of brain injury. I'm like, I'm really trying to be better than yesterday in everything I do. And... That's kind of what drives me now is to be better than yesterday and to, to to earn the praise that I've been receiving by people, like to 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 earn what they've been saying about me and like how how gracious they've been with me, helping me recover and rehab. And I want to show them that it's, that it's worthwhile. That their trust, their belief, their their love they poured to me is worthwhile. And I want to earn that back if I can. So I'm trying to earn that back every day, which is um it's there. It's obviously there, but it's like it's just it's just like I'm always trying to earn it. If that makes sense. Sounds like a, a powerful motivation. What does your morning routine look like? Yeah, so I got to get one for this, Jeremy. I'm a big believer in morning routines. 
So most days I'll get up early, go to the gym or go for a walk or go for a swim or go for an exercise. Mood falls action, right? I'll get a sweat on. I'll come back, have a shower and the shower cold. One to two minutes done the heroic here. In Vancouver, it's a pretty mild cold, I'll be honest with you, in the summertime especially. In the winter, it gets a bit more frosty, but it's still still basic asthma. But after that, I'll meditate for 20 minutes in the morning. I'll start my day off the same way, routine-based. Once I'm done meditating, I'll have a full breakfast, and then on my work day. Every day is the same. I warm up with this routine. I armor up for the day, if that makes sense. People have got like a neurodiverse backgrounds. I think by having a routine-based, you can kind of start your engine up the same way. And you build yourself for success. Mm. I also make my bed, which is probably the first thing I do. I forgot to mention that too, Jeremy. But that's the first thing I do in the morning is make my bed. But that's um, that's my morning routine. I really stand by that. It's a big part of my success. Yeah, that sounds like a really powerful routine. I, I especially respect the cold shower in the in Vancouver. It's a lot colder than it is in Australia. Well, it's uh, so I end the shower cold. It's not a full cold shower. It's end the shower cold one to two minutes. So it's not as heroic as it sounds. And Vancouver is very, very mild for Canadian standards. So it's people across the East Coast of Canada, like, oh, this guy's, this guy's got nothing. It's not that cold in Vancouver. It's not that cold in Vancouver. I'm not saying it's cold. <laughs> but it's a bit of brace when you're not used to it. I'll be honest with you, man. It takes us to be unused to it. Now I crave it. I crave the vibe. Mm. Well, it, compared to Australia, it's definitely cold. Do you ever do cold water swimming if you go to the, the beach and go for a swim there? Yeah, occasionally. I've also started doing cold plunges with um, a few of my friends who do a sauna and a cold plunge once a month, which is pretty cool. Nice. That's that's some real stuff, man. Like the ice, going to the ice bath and like, I went in one time last month or two months ago and I get like, was starting to get hypothermic, so I was like shivering. I had to go back in the sauna to like defrost for a little bit because I was so cold. I don't have a lot of body fat on me, so I guess like, the cold just went into my body hard. Mm. But it's phenomenal because it's just like the swings of high and hot and cold are so good for your body. <laughs> I swear by it. it's very good man it's very good for your vibe yeah i need to get back into it i tried it a few times in winter and i haven't got back into it now it's coming into spring so it's going to be a lot easier but I'll, my idea is that if i do it consistently throughout spring and summer then as it gets cold it will feel less bracing my body will already be used to it we'll see how i go Fair, man. good luck that's good okay now in terms of Optimizing productivity, you spoke about mindset as being really key and probably also doing the morning routine first. What else do you do to optimize your productivity during your workday? I think momentum is a big part of my vibe. Momentum is huge. And that's, I've got two types of momentum. So the first is swallow the hair frog momentum, which means doing the most difficult task in the day first off in the morning. So I'll do like the most difficult task, that email you don't want to send, that profile you got to set up, that, um, Photos you got to send to your brother on the Google Drive that doesn't link correctly, and you got to try and figure out a way to back organize that. And I'll do the most difficult task first. And that way, like, well, it's a good indicator of how your day's going to go is by that first task, Jeremy. So, like, either you can go really well or really poorly. But usually, I'll, I'll give it like a, a time frame to do it. So, I'll do like 15 minutes on this and then move on to something else. Um, but momentum is big for that. And the second momentum is building blocks. That's like stacking stuff on top of each other. Continuing motion so much easier than starting from a dead stop. So in the morning, I'll get up and I'll throw a load of laundry in, which reminds me I had to turn my load of laundry in over right now after this call today. But I'll I'll keep it moving when I'm doing stuff. So I'll come in the door, get dinner on, get the laundry on, like keep the wheel still spinning so you're not starting from a dead stop. If you start from a dead stop, it's so much more difficult to get things going. You keep things rolling, it's a lot easier to keep them perpetually in motion. 
then it is from a dead stop. So momentum's huge for that. And that's how I keep things rolling with my productivity bonuses. I love that. I do something like that with writing blogs. I'll spend 10 minutes and I'll get halfway through a sentence and then I'll stop. And then the next day it's easier to pick it up again. Should try it with my laundry as well. I like that idea. Fair enough, man. I like that a lot. Any other other tactics that you have? Is there anything that you do in terms of making care that making sure that you're taking care of yourself? Because I imagine it's important to not overdo it as well. You do the four days per week. That's probably a, a yeah. key thing. So I'll do like um really mindful like my my bandwidth my battery. So like I've got a whoop strap which counts my uh sleep and stuff like this. I'll track all movement, recovery, and rest. Engage my day accordingly. So I slept really well last night, so I know I can push myself hard today. Well, harder than I would normally. If I'm a bit tired, then I'll look to take breaks and go for a fika. A fika is a coffee break in Sweden. I studied in Sweden for a year, doing a master's in 2011. And something I picked up over there, so I'll go for a break. I'll go for a treat, go for a coffee, a little macchiato. Refresh my vibe and take my eyes off the screen, which is important. Because if you push through this stuff, sometimes you'll fatigue at the desk. Fatigue is a big issue with people that have had brain injuries, and it's something you can't fight through. I've tried to fight through it, and you just fail miserably. So meditation, going for a walk, going for a peak, help me stretch my body up for the day so I can make it through the day without issue. But that's another way that I kind of refresh my vibe and kind of continue on with this stuff. Also do timers and it alarms my phone. So timers allow me to, you know, work on this for 15 minutes and switch tasks or I'll... At 3.30, I got to call Jeremy, so I'll set my alarm for 2.55 and make sure I'm ready for the call at 2, 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock. You kind of build this in your routine. You kind of consistently look to improve this because everyone's got one of these with them all the time now, right? The phone. So make it work for you if you can. Alarms, timers, and write down what the alarm's for because you're going to forget what the alarm's for, right? Make the phone work for you. That makes a lot more, that helps me a lot, Jeremy. Mm, absolutely. I love that. And I, I love the idea of the Fika which it aligns very well with what we're going to do now. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a bit. Hello there. This is Joey. I'm excited to tell you about a project I run where I help imaginative people just like you breathe life into their creative dreams, like writing that book or performing that stand-up comedy set. I know the first step can be daunting. I have been there many times and have helped many people on a similar journey. If you've wondered how to bring those ideas swimming around in your head to life, get in touch. We'll shrink the intimidating dragon off a goal into a cute little lizard of an achievable daily habit that you can do every day to get started and stay moving. Click on the link in the show description to get in touch. All right, we're back from our break. Next up, let's talk about how you switch off at night. Yeah, so this is one that I'm still working on, to be honest, and I'm not the best at this, but I will I'll wind down my vibe around 10 o'clock it's not precise i'm not perfect at this and i'll do like a i've started to do like a tea and a magnesium before that so like 9 30 9 o'clock i'll do a tea magnesium to wind down my vibe and then rest up for the evening try to be lights off by around 10 30 11 at the latest but i'm in bed by around 10 10 30 and try to fade off the earlier i go to bed the better i am sleep's the most important thing for me one two and three uh i really believe sleep is the most important part of my vibe and I really will prioritize that above anything else, above working out, above being productive. Like sleep is the most important thing for me. So it works most of the time. And I've got, in fact, I'm in this whoop group. And I got categorized as a sleep champion last last month by um, the group members. So I'm pretty happy with that because it shows I'm at least putting more money where my mouth is. 
my money where my where my mouth is because I believe in that so much that I really prioritize sleep above anything else. That's awesome. I wanted to ask you about the weight band as well. <laughs> How many hours of sleep do you get in order to become the sleep champion in your group? Well, it's ironic because like last night I had like six hours and 58 minutes, which is not a very good sleep, but I had a great recovery. Generally, I aim for about seven to eight hours, but like, so 6.50, I was like, I mean, it's pretty seven up to seven hours, to be honest, and that's pretty good. And that gave me an 88% recovery. Um, not a big deal. But uh, I think seven hours is pretty good, but if I, I'll push for more if I can. Below, anywhere in the six range, I'm going to worry about that. Like, I'll try to get to seven minimum, but like, it's, it depends on how you recover as well, which is quite a big swing of things. Hmm. But I don't know. I believe in this tech a lot. And I really base my battery on this a lot because it's with the brain injury, you got to really respect the battery. And if you don't respect the battery, it blows up in your face. And I've had that happen to me on a number of occasions. And I want to try to avoid that if I can going forwards. Mm, absolutely. Is there anything that you find makes a difference to the sleep quality? Dark room, quiet, um, in bed early. I can be in bed early as long as I'm like, I can listen to an audiobook. Generally, I try to listen to an audiobook. So, fiction, I'll try to do that before or nonfiction before the, the night ends. I'm not, I've been getting away from that a little bit, which is unfortunate, but I like doing at least 15 minutes of nonfiction a night. I found that was a great way to unwind and kind of untangle my mind from like what I'm trying to do and accomplish. Also, there's an author, Neil, oh, I'm going to butcher his name, Neil Petris or something like this. It's a book. He's the author of You Are Awesome. And he also says he swears about the habit of like listening to nonfiction or reading nonfiction before you're in bed. So it untangles your mind from like all the problems in your life and what you need to accomplish. You can kind of go to this never, never land and just kind of fade off into existence, which is nice. Do you find you have to choose certain nonfiction? Because I can find some nonfiction will actually stimulate me and get me excited about things that I can start implementing. Is it really dry nonfiction, like the history of trains in Britain, something like that? Or I meant fiction. I meant like, like made up stories. What I meant is that fiction oh, sorry. or nonfiction? Yeah, sorry. Okay, that makes sense. But we even with that, I imagine you have to choose it wisely. You wouldn't want to read a thriller or something that is really going to stimulate you. Yeah, I I I, I do read thrillers a lot, and I think it's pretty good. But like, I, sometimes you get excited. But I will, I'll pace myself, so I won't go to like if I'm in a very like tumultuous part i won't listen to the book before i go to bed because that's obviously gonna get me fired up and excited hmm. but i'll try to um space the book out in a way that i can consume it in a way that's best and i've got the audiobook app or audible app which is pretty cool so i can set my time for 30 minutes hmm. and if you do 30 minutes a day on a book you can chip away at a book in a couple of weeks which is pretty phenomenal and that's another hack you can take to your bank as well hmm. but i've gotten away from that in the past couple of weeks and i need to get back to the audiobook app 30 minutes a day is a great way to chip at a book so that's a great hack to have Mm, absolutely i've got a in my audible i've got a 80 hour long fiction book and i i haven't been chipping away at it maybe i should adopt that strategy chip away to it slowly but surely really it's not a huge amount of ask you can walk around listen to a book for 30 minutes quite easily sometimes you fall asleep and you like there's been a few times where i've like totally lost the plot of a book and fallen asleep like 10 minutes in the book and it's played for another 20. I'm like, well, I don't know where the hell we are. Who, who's Susan? Like, where did Susan come from? <laughs> like, you can lose the plot entirely and like not back up in places. And and then the book's a little too far gone. You're like, well, I guess this book's gone. I'm not going to figure out what happened here. But most times it works out pretty good. And that's a good vibe to have. Mm, definitely. What are you reading at the moment? 
Um, I just finished Jack Carr's book in the blood, I believe, which is like a thriller. I'm reading, I'm listening to listening, not reading um, the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy right now, but I've kind of lost the plot a little bit with that book. Now it's like, I don't know who these characters are and run these weird planets and they're talking this weird language. And I'm like, I don't think I followed this plot very well. So that one, I think it's, it's a bit of a mess, to be honest. That's a bit of a mess for me, but that's okay. Jack Carr was a good book. That was my experience of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as well. I think it's a, a bit tangential at times. Yeah, it's all over the map. I'm like, who, who the hell is this Ezekiel? Like, what? <laughs> I mean, this took one night where I fell asleep and like the, the book kept playing. And now it's like I'm, I'm in like this weird spaceship and there's Hitchhiker. Well, I guess the Hitchhikers are part of the, the storyline, but like it's... I'm off the plot entirely, Jeremy. I don't know what to say. I'm off the top plot entirely. Well, it, it served the desired effect of putting you to sleep. There we go, man. That's key. Other than fiction, what else would you recommend? I heard you mention the Rich Rolls podcast, The Whip Band, and You Are Awesome by Neil Petrus. Anything else that you'd recommend? Yeah, so when I clean up the kitchen at night, I listen to this, 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 um, this video on YouTube by Joe Rogan called Get It Done. And I just clean up my kitchen and I just follow this routine every night and it gets set me up for success. And I just, I always say finish as you like to begin. So the kitchen's got to be clean and spotless every night. I love the clean, clean kitchen, clean and spotless. And I do this every night as a routine. It's a kind of a cathartic way for me to unwind and relax for my evening. And I was in that video, Get It Done by, by Joe Rogan. But I'll do like the book, The Artist Way, which is pretty cool. Or yeah, The Artist Way, I believe it's called by uh julia cameron no sorry that's different that is that is her but it's a different book i'm thinking of the war of art the war of art is what i'm thinking of oh uh, yeah you read that one i haven't read it but a lot of people have recommended it that's a great book and that got me going with like being creative and like i'm an artist and all this stuff and like like i'm a speaker now and a podcast well i was a podcast so i'm taking a pause of the podcast but like the creative side of my mind is working a lot more than it was in the past. And I think the art, the war of art is a good way to do this because it kind of forces you to do the work. And it, it, it uncovers a lot of characters that you encounter along the way, like the muse and the, the resistance and you know, the little voice being like, oh, you don't have to do the work now. It's fine. It's like, no, no. I would say like, that's what I call the work chop wood carry water. Every time I'm like, what do I need to do? It's like, well, for speaking stuff, it's like, well, Chase up the podcast referrals, chase up the speaking engagement, like work the pipeline, continue to work and keep working on like your, your bio description for the new bureau that you're a part of. Like it's just get to work, do the stuff you know that works. And I call it chop wood, carry water, which is really important to remember. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good productivity tactic as well. Just doing those procedural tasks that will get you to the end result. To finish off with, where can people connect with you? Yeah, for sure. So the best place is mcqueendan.com, M-A-C-Q-U-E-E-N-Dan.com. Also McQueenDan across the socials, Instagram and YouTube and Twitter. Uh, Instagram is probably most active for me, to be honest, but if you want to connect in the other two, you're more than welcome to. Uh, but mcqueendan.com is the best place to send them. They can also see my demo reel there as well, which is pretty cool. Fantastic. Do you have any final words or asks for the audience? The through line that I want to get across here is this is still through line that I use for my talk a lot. And it's not what happens to you, but how you respond to it that matters. Okay. It's not what happens to you, but how you respond to it that matters, right? That second setback, it didn't kill you. You can navigate through this, but you have to think about it in the right way. 
oftentimes we 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 tell ourselves we're done, we're finished, but like you're not done, you're finished. You're just telling yourself you're done and finished. You're giving yourself an excuse to be done and finished. Like just keep going, man. Keep going. One step in front of the other. It's about three life lessons right there, but there you go. One step in front of the other. So what happens to you, but I respond to it. Keep going. Are the three aligned with there for you, Jeremy? Fantastic. Thanks so much. We'll wrap the show with that. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Focus and Chill podcast. To listen to other episodes, jump onto podcast.focusbear.io. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who'd be a good fit, email us at team at focusbear.io. Otherwise, stay focused, stay chilled, and peace out. <laughs>